thanks for taking time to to talk today. I, I know it's been forever since, well, seemingly forever since we've talked. Uh, we talked in February before the pandemic struck, and now we're all yeah. the way in September, which is crazy and hard to believe. Uh, when we when we talked, we were talking all about how your your book launch was about to happen and the impact that it was going to have and what your plans were to do a book tour and then all everything changed all plans for everybody so what what's what have your have your last few months been like since since the the plans for the book changed what have you what have you been up to I think um, some days it felt like I was just rolling out of bed throwing on makeup and doing a zoom call um, you know, a lot of the fertility in March and April, especially in New York, a lot of the fertility clinics closed down March, April, and early May. And that was really, you know, forget my book. I mean, I can't even imagine going through fertility at a time like this, you know, yeah. speaking, you know, we have to talk about the actual people who right. not only had to put their fertility plans on hold and their baby making plans on hold, but how to be stuck at home watching right. everyone complaining about their kids and complaining how their kids are oh. crazy. And, you know, like, it's like, sometimes you could say, oh, ignore social media. It's really hard to ignore social media when that's the only thing you're allowed when to do. When it's the only thing you can do. Right. right. So, you know, wow. you can't even say, oh, ignore social media and everyone's complaining about their kids. And meanwhile, you can't even get, you know, there are people who couldn't get to their fertility clinics. There are people who couldn't get to their babies if they had a surrogate. A lot of people's surrogates were stuck. You know, they yeah. couldn't even have out to pick up their own kids. So um, that I never was really thought about. I never really thought about that with just the, you're right. Everybody on social media has been complaining about their kids. And that's, that's got to be gut-wrenching for people, for sure. I, I, people I, can't even get, you know, and then, you know, when you're going through fertility, you're like, okay, if I get pregnant in February, then I'll have a baby in this, and then I'll be 39 years old, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you can't even go back to your clinic. I mean, mm. thankfully, most clinics have opened up with more rigorous yeah. health protocols. Um, someone said something funny, because like, you know, we were talking about, you, you know, at-home testing, so someone told me like, oh, all these things they could do at home now. And they were like, hello, why couldn't I do this before? Like, why do I have to go 10 times in a month to my clinic? You know, yeah. it would be great. So I think that there definitely are some improvements. Yeah, I that agree. Virus has, you know, for fertility patients who had to go every other day to the clinic, maybe now they don't. Um, one, of the not, one of the good things for me was that there were a lot of doctors who were not working so I did spend time on a lot of people's different um, social media accounts, whether it was Zoom or Facebook or Instagram Live. You know, I did something with Dr. Chang from Generation Next. I did something with Anat Brower from Shady Grove, from Amy Avazada in San Francisco, from Fertility Center Clinics of Illinois. So, you know, I got to share directly, you know, I would never normally have this much access to doctors. But in March and April, they were home. So we did a lot of at home, you know, talking to patients. And one of the things we definitely had to talk about then was how hard it was to be home, not doing fertility yeah. treatment. But now fertility treatment, you know, it's, I see people are going back to it. You know, people who were waiting and people who are nervous. I think a lot of people, especially on the East Coast, I know the Midwest and uh, the West Coast have higher numbers. California has pretty mm. high numbers, but I think, I think everything's back to what's called the new normal. So, yeah. 
you know, I did have to cancel most of my book tour. Some of it was moved online. Um, and I don't know what's going to be with books. You know, I think people are maybe a little bit back to reading, especially people without kids. Right. You know, people without kids, there's this whole divide. My husband and I joke about you have all these people like, oh, I have nothing left to watch on TV. I have nothing left to read. You know, that's one side. And then the other side is like, how do people have time to read when your kids are at home full time? <laughs> so. Yes, I, I, can, I can attest to that. Uh, but I think I read a few books. I read the um, I read the prequel to The Hunger Games. I never, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yep. See, Amazing. you wouldn't. Get, that? You didn't know like the biggest franchise. So, like, if you didn't know about the Hunger Games prequel, could you imagine how people don't know about my book? But I think people will get there eventually. You know, people are finding it. Um, it was really hard to get press coverage during the pandemic. Yeah. But I did have some great excerpts run from my book. Glamour magazine read, wrote, um, ran something on marriage. Uh, religion New Newswire service just ran a piece about my the religious part of my book. Um, uh, Refinery29 ran something about baby envy. So there's been snippets hmm. out and about about the book. And I think anyone looking something up always finds me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, so in, in the midst of all of that, I mean, I'm sure with, with these articles and the snippets that have been published, there, there have certainly been people that have been impacted by your book. What are some of the, what, what's some of the feedback you've received so far? Some of the stories you've heard from people up to this point that, that stand out to you of ways that they've been, been impacted by, by your work? I got a really done. interesting letter on Twitter. Um, and she said, oh, this is going to sound surprising, but your book really helped me, but maybe not in the way that you thought it was. Um, she said, you know, we've been going back and forth between IVF and adoption. And after I read your book and saw what people went through to have their baby, it finalized my decision to adopt. Like she said, huh. you know, you know, and that's, that's a wonderful impact. Yeah. I don't have any... You know, if people, and I, and I don't, you know, there's so many good books about adoption and I've never been down that path. And in my, in my book, in like chapter 24, in the penultimate chapter, I talk about, you know, the end of the road and how different people reach the end of the road. And for some people, you know, it's all about what decision resonates with you. Right. You know, I used donor eggs. For some people, they even said it to my face, like donor eggs, I will not have donor eggs. And some people said, I would feel terrible if my husband got to use his genetics and I didn't get to use mine, which I personally think is crazy because you get to carry the baby and you have so much influence over its epigenetics. But, you know, that's what some women say. Yeah. Some women say, I won't use donor eggs, but I'd use donor embryos because neither of our genetics is going to be there. And then some people say, you know what, I always wanted to adopt. And if I can't use my own eggs, I'm just going to adopt. So... You know, in that chapter, in chapter 24, the end of the road for some people, and some people say, I tried, I only want to do it if it's going to work with our own genetics. And if it's not going to work, we're stopping. Yeah. Some people say we're stopping and we're going to try adoption. So it's all about like what choice resonates with you. Yeah. And some people, they stop and then they start again a little bit later on. Hmm. I mean, one interesting thing, this is not about the reader's letter, but one interesting thing about stopping, 
You know, like a lot of people say, oh, I really just, I want to stop IVF. And of course you want to stop IVF because yeah. there's so many hormones. It's so many um, appointments, whether it's at home, you know, it's so, it's such a toll on your life. But the thing about stopping is it's another thing to come to terms with never having children. Right. And that's something that I want to address for people who have stopped and who didn't continue. And it's not all wrapped up in a happy bow for some people who stopped it was fine. And some people who said, you know, this is a decision I have to reckon with for a long yeah. time. But I was, you know, the woman who wrote me on Twitter, she, you know, she just said, I saw what people went through. And I just know that I didn't have that in me. It wasn't that important to me. And it's really solidified my, um, my intention to adopt. So I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. Another woman that I quoted in the book, actually, who was talking about adoption. So this is a woman who, um, you know, because people's stories don't end after the book happens, you know. Right, right. Some of the people in my book had babies. Yeah. And then there's one woman who talked about adoption, and she was the one who told me, like, it has to resonate with you. So she had one biological baby and is not was not allowed to carry again due to health risks, which mm. happens to a lot of people with secondary sure. fertility. And she decided to adopt. And we talked about that in my book. And she said it was something she always wanted to do. Um, she always felt drawn to adoption. And she just didn't really, so it wasn't important enough for her to do surrogacy for her second mm. child. So that was what she, we talked about in my book, but like the quota to that is, um, she had been through like three failed adoptions and it just wasn't working mm. for her, you know, and people always say, oh, why don't you just adopt? Why don't you just adopt? Right. You don't hear that. You don't hear that side of it. There's, there's failed adoptions too. And that's, that's, that's heartbreaking as well. And she does, she, you know, this was way after my book was closed, but she's moved back to surrogacy. So that's an interesting, mm. but only because adoption was so hard and yeah. heartbreaking. So, you know, there's been a lot of people, I think um, one chapter that resonates with a lot of people because like, you know, the technology, you and I both know that the technology is changing every day. Um, yeah. You know, maybe one day PGT will work 100%. And it will, you know, people will get pregnant <laughs> with IVF on their first try. Right. Um, so the technology is going to change and hopefully it's going to always improve and yeah. doctors will be more informed. But the one thing that doesn't change is the emotional journey. And I think what's really resonated with a lot of people, and this was the article that was um, excerpted in Refinery29, is um, baby envy, like just how to deal with other people in your life. Hmm because people don't understand why you're not happy for them being pregnant. You know, today, I think I saw an article, Jenna Bush Hager, you know, who's on the Today Show. Yeah, yeah. She just wrote in her book that she got pregnant accidentally, you know, with her third, and she was afraid to tell her sister because she knew her sister had fertility struggles. Mm. And that's the hardest thing to deal with when you're, you know, I'm glad that Jenna Bush was sensitive to her sister, but a lot of people who yeah. are pregnant don't understand or people who are infertile right. are going through. So, what is, so, so with, with that, with, with, with baby envy, what, what kind of guidance or advice do you give in your book? Like what's, what's the, 
what do you what do you discuss in your book surrounding that? I think there's a lot of shoulds. You know, mm. like you should be happy for this person. Yeah. You should go to her baby shower. You should go to the breast circumcision ceremony. Um, you know, and then even you should be grateful when you're finally pregnant. You should be enjoying your pregnancy. So I think my first thing is there's no should. Yeah. You know, that's like, great. That, that's a great, that's, that's a great summation. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. There's, there are a lot of shoulds that get put on people. And I think the first thing people have to do is just acknowledge their own suffering. You know, yeah. like my, when my sister was pregnant, when my younger sister was pregnant, of course I should have been happy for her. Not only that, she had two miscarriages. So what we call in the fertility world, she deserved to be pregnant because she had suffered those miscarriages. And yeah. So it wasn't like the accidental pregnancy. So my mother said, oh, you should help her more. You should be there more for her. And, you know, I looked at my mom thinking like, yes, I should, but I wasn't. And um, I talk about this a lot and, you know, my sister knows it. I wasn't there for her pregnancy. I couldn't, mm. you know, and I love my nephew and I'm the greatest aunt in the world. And, it turn and our kids are now five months apart. So I wasn't that far behind her, but like, yeah. you just have to acknowledge the pain of what you're going through and- yeah. You also have to know that other people are not probably not going to understand. Yeah. Oh, so you're yeah. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting perspective. So, so the 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 guidance and the the input that you give people isn't so much like telling people who are pregnant of how they should treat people who are struggling, but more that people who are struggling who are going through this their their, their journey with infertility that 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 they need to recognize and, 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 and admit the pain that they're going through and being able to, to, to handle how people treat them. And that's, that's really, is that, is that the approach well, that you, you the, so it's not only admit the pain, but also take care of yourself. You yeah. know, like I say in my book, I went to all those parties. I went to all those yeah. baby showers. I went to them and they didn't make me a better person. You know, mm. I spent my time crying in the bathroom stall. Um, I went there and like I give some advice. It's basically, you know, how to, you know, if you can get out of it, get out of it. Yeah. Um, I also say act happy and do your voodoo at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. if you can act happy and say, you know, and I give a list of things that you could say to other people, like instead of yeah. I'm so happy for you, you could say, you must be so excited or what wonder, you know, the Southern yeah. way. That must be such wonderful news. Your bless, husband, bless your heart. That, you know, bless <laughs> your heart, exactly. So that's in part, and I also, I have a letter in there, like dear pregnant girlfriend, like a letter that you could just copy and say, you know, I'm happy for you, but this is such a hard time for me and I'm definitely gonna be there, but you know, yeah. um, this is really hard what I'm going through. But I yeah. do have also, um, I do hope that if someone is suffering, um, whether it's because their mother-in-law just keeps saying, when are you going to be pregnant already? Yeah. Or your best friend says, why can't you throw me a baby shower? I do hope that, you know, they could just give this chapter to their friends and say, read this. Like, I'm not yeah. the only one. Don't think that I'm, you know, don't think that I'm the only one and I'm such a bad person because I yeah. can't be happy for you and I can't be there for you. I mean, it's a weird thing, you know, when you're pregnant, and I've been on both sides because I've been pregnant. So when you're pregnant, you have these like 
mo for the most part, happy hormones coursing through your body. Right. And you want to share it with the world and you want everyone. And then on the other hand, when you're infertile, you have these horrible hormones coursing mm. through your body and you might be depressed or you might be anxious. And those two opposing, force, opposing forces are colliding. So I do think the chapter is obviously like everything else in the book directed to the women who are suffering to just tell them it's okay to take care of yourself as best as you can. Yeah. And it's hard to change other people. Like, I don't know if I would That's have true. said... It's very you know, true. There was a relative in my book. So not only was my sister pregnant, but then my brother announced he was having his fifth baby at the same <laughs> the same year. So, you know, thank God I have my daughter has two cousins the same age. Yeah. Like a beautiful ending. But in October and November, when I found out that I was pregnant, but I didn't know because I've ha already had four miscarriages. I didn't know if this pregnancy was going to work out. And one of my relatives was talking about, you know, nobody knew I was pregnant. One of my relatives was talking to me about the scarves she was, the blankets she was knitting the other two babies. And she's telling it to me, and she doesn't know I'm pregnant. I know I'm pregnant, but I'm thinking like, are you seriously? Are you, like, I was thinking, are you seriously telling me this? Like, I am not that strong. Yeah. But was I going to say something to her? No, I didn't. Because you know what? She didn't, most people don't, for the most part, regardless of the world we live in and regardless of the politics you have, I still believe that most people mean well. And most yeah. people don't want to harm other people. And the people who are hurting the infertile people are not doing it on purpose. Right. So you can't always change other people. But some people want to learn and maybe they'll read this chapter right. on Baby Abby and maybe they'll understand what people are going through. Mm. But for the most part, like you just have to build this like, and maybe we learn this during Corona, you have to build this wall around yourself. How can I get through this? You know, in Corona, yeah. you ask yourself, how am I going to get through this? What right. am I going to do? Sometimes right. for me, it means hiding in my car and taking a drive to nowhere. <laughs> I've done you know that too. I, mean? <laughs> I, I, I suggest you take all your Zoom meetings in your car, you know, get a virtual background and yeah. Yeah, I've, 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 I've done that. I've actually, I've done that a lot, just driving around, feeling like I'm like going to a meeting when in reality I'm not. I'm just exactly. like on a, in a, on a phone call and pretending I'm in a meeting. Yeah. So yeah. I think you have to build this when you're doing infertility and if you're doing infertility during COVID, you have to just, that's my main message to people, you know, like I can't get them pregnant, but I can help them take care of themselves yeah. and themselves first and put their marriage first and, you know, hunker down until they get pregnant. Yeah. So, so with that, what, what was the turning point for, for you? Was it when you were able to conceive or was it when did like where, I mean, when, well, let me rephrase that. So, so in struggling with that, with baby envy and, and you know, and not being able to attend the parties and having the struggle with your brother, having his fifth baby, like, was there a, a specific point at which you became okay with that, that you can remember, or was it more of like a gradual change? okay with other people having babies yeah i think i started off okay because i was sure that i was gonna be pregnant and i did kept getting pregnant so i think for me it was like i started off not 
caring about other people's pregnancy. And then, you know, I remember back when you could take the subway, I remember I was on the subway with a friend and this homeless woman got on and she said, help, I'm homeless, I'm hungry and I'm pregnant. And I said, you too? Like even you, I can't believe it. And my friend was like, that's not nice you know, again, yeah. what I should be, whatever. Like she didn't appreciate the humor, but I'm sure most people could. Um, I, I think someone said something to me after one of my miscarriages that really helped me. And then I wrote about, I think, she just said, nobody's gonna ever say the right thing. Hmm. And I think today people are more and more, you know, just from that Jenna Bush tweet, I think people are more and more, um, aware of fertility issues um, and aware of people who are suffering. Um, yeah. But I think people are not always gonna say the right thing. And for me, it helped just to realize that nobody was being malicious. You know, my mother yeah. wasn't being malicious. That relative wasn't being malicious. Even, um, even my sister, you know, she wanted to be, ha she was happy for her pregnancy and mm. she wanted to help. One of the, the nicest things, and this is how I end the chapter in Baby Envy, it, it always makes me cry. One of my best friends, I know her since I'm three years old. When I was going through infertility, she was also pregnant with her fifth child because people I know have crazy amounts of children. <laughs> um, it's a common number. She said to me, um, she said, Amy, I have to tell you something. And I think I was in the middle of complaining about someone else who was pregnant to her because I thought she wasn't having any more kids because her youngest was eight years old. Mm. And I was complaining to her about someone else who was pregnant. And she said, Amy, I have to tell you something, which is always a bad thing. She's like, and, but this was so beautiful the way she said it. She said, I just want to let you know that I'm pregnant. You don't have to be happy for me. Just, I just letting you know. And I was like, that is the nicest thing. See, look, I'm already crying. I was like, that is the nicest thing that anyone has ever said to me. Like, you don't have to be happy for me. Yeah. It's a blessing because it like, I don't know if you can understand it, but it like, it's such a, you know, like a sigh of yeah. relief. Like, I'm, I'm allowing you the space to have your own feelings and it's not going to impact me personally. Right. No, that's, and, that's, that's, that's a, a beautiful way to approach it for sure. I, and I don't expect that from most people, you know, no. but I do give advice, you know, like, don't like send, tell, tell people by email, you know, mm. like don't do the face of, thankfully you don't have to do the face to face anymore or even the <laughs> zoom call, but like, don't do the face to face. And, you know, if for other people who want to know about it is like, just allow the other person to have their feelings and, you know, maybe take some more space I think for most people who are going through infertility, once the kid is born, like once the baby is there and it's like, it's not, it's not hard anymore. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Because that, that concept of seeing somebody who's seeing somebody who's pregnant, that's like the, that's like the goal that you're trying to get to. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I can, I can see that. And, and you know, it's interesting you say that, that there's a, that there's an increased recognition of of infertility and, and realization that there's a lot of people struggling with it. There was an article in on CNN. I think it was on CNN this morning, somewhere on Apple News that I saw it about how the how gender reveal parties need to stop oh. because of all of the wildfires that are happening in California. Right. And I thought that's strange that they put this in the article. But then I read it further, and it was actually talking about how people need to be more sensitive 
to all of the people struggling who can't get pregnant and that yet this is all being flaunted and, and burning down acres. And, and it, was, it was really interesting that that was mentioned, like be more sensitive to people who can't get pregnant and don't make it such a big deal because it can really, it could offend, it could, it could, it could hurt a lot of people, especially during this time of COVID where people are already struggling with depression. I just read that like 30 minutes before you and I talked this yeah, morning. Yeah, I didn't realize really it was, I just saw, I saw the headline. I didn't realize it was about, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't, I mean, people need to celebrate. Um, you know, I felt really guilty putting up a back to school picture because on a normal year, back to school is super triggering for infertile people. They're like, oh no, I have to sift through all the back to school mm. pictures. And this year it's like, I'm super privileged to send my daughter back to school because most people don't, can't send their kids to forget if you don't have kids most people can't even send their kids back to can't school even go to school right right exactly yeah. so it is super privileged so it's hard to know these days like what you yeah say. oh yeah i mean i think i think that there's anything that can be posted on social media can can end up offending somebody for sure but yeah I, but i but i think that there is a uh it's 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 interesting to me to hear you say that there is like with the jenna bush tweet like there is an increased recognition. And then seeing this thing on CNN this morning, infertility is something that more and more people are realizing like, wow, there's a lot of people who struggle with this. And I, I had a meeting last week, I was talking to somebody showing them how many people throughout the world struggle with infertility. And people are blown away that it's like people who aren't exposed to it, who don't know that it's such an issue think, oh, there's a few people who can't conceive, but there's, there's so many people who struggle with this and, and it, right, it continues to even like secondary infertility and not even to mention LGBTQ who often have right, these infertility treatment just to have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think the reason is? Sorry, are you there? Sorry, I lost you. I don't know what happened. Um, what do you, what do you think the reason is that there is an increasing awareness of it? What do you, what do you think the reason celebrities is? Are, you know, I, I remember, I don't even like, this is dating me, but like celebrities used to never tweet about their kids in general. It wasn't a mm. thing I feel like this, maybe this is maybe like in the last 15 years, you know, celebrity babies have become a thing. I think, I think in the olden days, celebrities like you know, women would keep their child, you know, their child aspirations private, not only for the privacy of their kids, but they didn't want to help that they didn't want to hurt their career. And then mm. my kind of babies kind of became the next, the newest accessory, like with fashion and the Kardashians and everybody. So I think first be motherhood became really yeah. cheap. And then I think people started tweeting, you know, it's funny, people start, people often tweet about their infertility only after it's over, you know, like, mm. um, Someone just had a baby and said after the whole thing, how much fertility yeah. trouble. Amy Schumer just came out with all the fertility yeah. trouble she's having. I think a lot of people talk about it after the fact. And I mm. think that also with reality television, I mean, you know, the Kardashians are so upfront. I mean, Chrissy Teigen about, you know, Chrissy Teigen just had her accidental third pregnancy and I'm so happy for her, but that's so hard to hear also, you know, she had two yeah. IV babies and then she had the accidental pregnancy. And she knows how, what a miracle that is. Chloe, I think Khloe Kardashian is freezing her eggs. Um, you know, Kim Kardashian w had crazy pregnancy IVF stories. So yeah. celebrities, whether they're upfront about it while they're doing it or after the fact, I think celebrities are- That's really making a difference. Right? 
And I think people are realizing, you know, and also, I mean, it's not only because women are getting married older, you know, women yeah. are getting married older, um, but also men's sperm are, is declining. You know, men's sperm is taking a ooh, dive there in the health of the men's sperm. Um, so I think there's a big, I think that there is more awareness about fertility, but the yeah. one thing that I really want to change in life is women taking charge of their own reproductive health, whether or not they want kids. And yeah. that's definitely a big mission of mine. I think, and I was the same way. Like I hear the word fertility and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want kids yet. I don't even have a partner. I don't know. I'm not gonna even think about it. I'm not gonna even listen to this. I can't tell you how many women in my book had things that they found out about like later in life at 37, 38, 39, that had they known about it when they were 30, 29, it would have right. changed, changed their entire trajectory, yeah. You know, and I'm sure that, you know, you work in this field, but women, we, we women are woefully undereducated about our health. And I, I don't even want to use the word fertility because I know some people tune out when they hear the word fertility. But yeah. if you're a woman and you're 30, I would like you to know, do you have endometriosis? Do you have PCOS? Are you skipping periods? Shouldn't you look yeah. into that? What does that mean? Do you have super, you know, I know someone and this woman is in her 60s now, but I'm working with her on a fertility campaign. And she told me that when she was in high school, she would be home for a week because of the pain of her period. And people would just say, oh, well, that's normal. Pain, pain, pain. No, that's not normal that you should yeah. home for a week. And she didn't find out until it was too late that she had endometriosis. So I, you know, if there's one mission for me and women, I just, I want us to know our bodies the same way that we know our careers, the same way that we know yeah. our politics. Like I want us to know our hormone levels. And I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not an egg freezing company. You want to freeze your eggs. You don't want to freeze your eggs. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't even matter to me. You want to have kids. You don't want to have kids, you know, do what's good for you. But I don't, want you to get to the situation where you're 35 or 40 and you find out all these things that you could have known about when you right. were 25. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean that focusing, focusing on, on your reproductive health, that can, that has, that has implications for all of life, not just whether or not you're, you're going to have babies. I mean, I think for, for guys, I look at that as you know, there's the things, the things that you can do, like you're saying, like male sperm quality is taking a dive. I mean, when you look at the things that can affect that, you know, you look at, you look at testosterone levels, you know, guys, guys, increasingly there's, there's guys who struggle with low testosterone and that's not yes. necessarily because they have not necessarily because they're not producing it, but because there's lifestyle factors that affect that. Like if you're eating, if you're, if you're eating too much you're eating too much sugar or you have too high cortisol that binds to that testosterone and renders it um, unavailable you know there's there's so many things that can affect that can affect that and it may not have anything to do with whether or not you're trying to have a baby but if you could educate yourself from a young age on on your hormones and your reproductive system and how that can that making sure you're caring for that now can change your life for the long run I mean, that's it's super important you bring up a really good point i wish every college student um had a health class like just about their bodies and everything yeah yeah i agree yeah i think 
uh, I think I think college should change to teach people like how to do things. Yeah, like caring for your health, like what to do when you leave college. Like there's there's a lot of things that that, that college exactly. should be teaching people. I, I, I the college of life. Maybe we should exactly. start that. the life college. Hey, that you know what? Hey, I think that after all this COVID stuff, I think I think there's going to be all kinds of new education that takes place. Maybe maybe it's like the end of in-person higher education. Who knows? Right. Sure. That, that would be good if you got it before your kids got to college. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But um, so I know I know that we are we're we're reaching the end of the time that we have together here this morning. But before we go, I, I just wanted to know what is what's what's in the works for you next? Is there anything else that you're that you are working on as far as books go or or any other projects? Sure. Um well, first of all, I hope to, you know, next month is, uh, October is National Infant Awareness and Pregnancy Loss Month. So I definitely hope to be out there talking about miscarriage mm. and how hard it is and how hard infant loss is. And, you know, to be cognizant of those things for people because miscarriage mm. is very little understood in the world. Um, and I am working on some projects about... Um, I'm working on a project about third-party reproduction and egg donors and sperm donors and all the crazy stories that you hear in the news about people finding 30 siblings or this guy who has 80 children out there and um, what the future, you know, the woo, you know, the crazy future in the next five, 10 years is gonna look like for people who are donor conceived. Mm. And, you know, when I started shopping this um, fertility book around, I actually started shopping it around while I was going through infertility and a lot of people said, oh no, they didn't realize. And that was almost 10 years ago, probably. You know, so I think this book is a little bit ahead of its time, but I think it's gonna be super important that yeah. I think it's gonna be super interesting to people, even if you're at home with your three kids now, that you're gonna want to know like, oh my God, I gotta tell you a crazy statistic that I read in 1987 or 88, something like 3% of fertility doctors were using their own sperm. No way. Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. And kids are now, there was this guy, Donald Klein, you know, they didn't tell their patients and they just slipped, they told them that they were using mm -hmm. joint sperm. And you think that's a crazy story until you look into how many doctors were using their own sperm, which is crazy. Wow. That is crazy. Is that and the... This guy, this guy who has like 80 children whose sperm has been outlawed, that's, uh, that's, is that more recently, right? No, that's not illegal. He's just donating his sperm to people who, and you know, his sperm was outlawed in Israel. I have a story coming out about that soon, but his sperm was outlawed in Israel because they said either sperm has to be anonymous or you have to be a father and he clearly can't be a father. But his point was, am I really, you know, I'm in touch with as many kids as the moms want me to be. And I'm not their father per se, you know, I'm not, I don't act as a parent per se, but I'm in touch. They all know who their, the genetic father is. He said, is that really worse than an anonymous donor? And he kind of has a point. Yeah, that is a good point. It'd a be a heck of a family reunion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have to get them all together. Crazy. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what else you, what else you, come out with here in the future and to see the continued impact that you have. I've, I, I'm always, I'm always intrigued by everything that you write and, and it's always, 
But I, what I really love about everything that you're doing is that everything you write and everything you talk about is always geared towards helping people who are struggling with this. And it's not just like throwing information out there, but you're, you really care and it really comes across. It's, it's always a privilege to talk to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to see the impact that you continue to have throughout, throughout the whole world. Great. And I'm excited for all the changes you're going to make in technology. I'm, I am equally excited. Thank you.